Hey everyone, welcome to the Project Esports Podcast, the go-to podcast for all the esports news you need to know about each and every week with three random guys that are just obsessed with esports and talking about it for the pure fact that they want to. My name is Andrew as always, I am your host for the podcast, came up with it, you can hear my whole backstory the first couple podcasts, but today I want to get right into the content, we have some really cool news to talk about so I don't want to take too much time introducing myself. But I will let my co-host James introduce himself as always. Um, I'll follow suit with Andrew. I'll keep it short and sweet. Uh, James Graham, hailing from Canada. I'm the resident Canadian. And I will pass it over to Dylan. Hey, I'm Dylan Beal. I'm a tech consultant by day and I work in collegiate esports on this side. Awesome. So yeah, I guess the big first topic that's kind of been going all around the esports kind of community this uh, week is the Overwatch League is finally announced. The teams, the rosters, the schedules, everything you need to know for Season 1 is in paper and ready to be talked about. So just for those of you that don't really know what's going on or haven't heard too much about it, this is the official league that has tons of millions of dollars behind it um, that's kind of hosted by Blizzard. So there are 12 teams, uh, two different divisions, six in the Atlantic and six in the Pacific, and the matches take place starting in January, every Wednesday through Saturday, um, for 20 weeks. There's five stage, five weeks per stage, which is just kind of small sprints um, that people can get a chance to win smaller titles. So they're like the winner of the summer, the winner, the winner of the fall, and things kind of like that. Then at the end of the year, the top six teams go on to a playoff bracket for a chance to compete for a million dollars. So now that we kind of know the structure, what are you guys kind of thinking about that? Is there anything you don't like about the structure? Anything you don't like about what you're hearing so far? I don't have any. Uh, I don't have any really major obligations or uh, objections. Looking over the, uh, the structure and the format, it seems pretty standard. It seems pretty cut and dry. I can't really think of like I, I don't see many things that I can really just off the cuff like think that they should really improve on. Um, it seems like this has been a well thought out model that. Clearly, somebody has gone and studied the other, the other already successful esports, and be like, "This is what works," and yeah, we're gonna use this. Yeah, same here. Um, it's it's very straightforward, so I don't think there really is anything you could um, protest with it too much. Um, I, it's it's super straightforward, and um, the only thing I'm, I'm a little bit sad about is that just because it's still kind of like a new thing and it's still getting up and going, um, all the matches are played in California. Still hoping for that one day of where like everyone will have their own local arena, and people are gonna be traveling around playing for that. But um, hopefully, I'll find my way out to to California to see some no. of these matches. Yeah, that'd one day. be really cool to um, get out there and actually watch that. And I guess yeah, for the first year, it's probably a smart thing to kind of just centralize it in one place because then it's less to kind of worry about, less to deal with. Uh, I mean, of course, it's kind of sad. I mean, you want to do a franchise system so that people can kind of support their hometown and you can still do that but it's not the same as going to a game down the street or an hour away in your state you have to go out to los angeles to kind of support it so i agree with that's kind of my one problem with it but no i like the idea um and i like that there's a lot of little chances for um the teams to make a little bit of extra money and just kind of win some of the prize structure so kind of just to give a little more information on how the payments work and kind of like that. So for the full 20-week season, there is going to be a first-place prize of 300000 seconds 200000 third and fourth 150, 
and it just keeps going down there more and more. But every single team, no matter what place you get, gets some kind of money with the lowest being 25000 And then for the each sprint or stage, what they call it, um, there will be two teams from each division, so one from Pacific and one from Atlantic fighting for the first place of that sprint. Um, and the first place gets an extra $100,000. And then, of course, in the playoffs, the top six teams go for a first place prize of $1 million. Second's $400,000. Third and fourth is $100,000. Fifth and sixth is 50000 So, I think this is a pretty big kind of prize pot for the first year kind of going out there. And you'd expect with how much these teams have invested, that would be pretty high. But, to me... A million dollars for the first place team on top of being able to win half a million to uh, three quarters of a million dollars early in the season seems like a really big prize pot for the first year. I guess, I, do you know what the other prize pots are for other like League of Legends and things kind of like that? As far as regarding regular season, I'm not too, too sure. But yeah, like like you said, if there's a... If your team is at like a dominant force throughout the regular season, and then you go ahead and win championships as well, like you're you're cleaning up, you're doing you're doing pretty damn good. Um, but I guess that kind of goes to show like how much money is really invested into this league. And I guess with each team having to pay twenty million dollars for a franchise spot, um, I guess thinking looking at it that way, you kind of need those prizes to be big. Because even let's say if your team just wins the title every single year. That's still going to take 20 years for your team to pay off just through playing to get back that $20 million. Obviously, it's worth more than that. And there's other ways that they'll make money off of that. But do you think the prize pot is worth how much they pay to get into it? Or is the external factors worth it alone? I think the external factors are more kind of what they're aiming for. Because, I mean, it is a really big prize pot. But, I mean, all these people were paying, like, 20, 20 million to get in. I think it's more of um, some of these, like, VCs and, like, uh, I'm trying to think of a, another yep. investor, like the Kraft Group or whatever. Um, I think it's more for them to kind of look at it like uh, they, they want to build this brand probably to advertisers um, so they can get the names out there. And, and the prize pool is good, but I don't think that's going to be the main driver. I think it's more just a case of, the, the prize pool is going to be big because the league itself is big um, rather than the okay, prize pool makes making sense. the league big. James, you got anything to kind of add on top of that? Not not really, no. I think I think the brand, like, a big thing of is, is the branding and then all the, like, all the extra funding they're going to receive from that because, I mean, I can see these, I can see these jerseys and these play, like, and the merchandise for these teams going crazy and that's in their first year. They're going to make, they're going to, I, I'd say within the first five years, these or even less than that, a lot of these teams make their money back, like just from just from the the other the other lucrative options that they have besides just you know winning. Wow, that's I consider that a bold statement. I definitely think that all these teams will get their money back, but saying less than five years, that is really relying that Overwatch stays relevant in the public eye, that this league goes smoothly, and I think that relies on these teams having home games and not always playing in Los Angeles. I think that hurts a lot of the revenue they have the opportunity of earning because now it's really only through gear sales and through playing. They can't make the money off their arenas and that kind of stuff. So I think they're going to make their money back, but five years just kind of seems bold to me. 
the the reason I make I make such a statement is that is that because the, even even without um the home arena sort of scenario, I mean looking at a model that's already quite successful and already has a a, a metric ton of money invested into it um, with Riot and League, um they make really no money off their their um their like studio sales right um I think the, t- the tickets are like twenty five dollars or something like that I think it's somebody's done the math and they've actually worked it out to the point where they're actually losing money so. But through all the other, the other, all the other merchandising and funding and all that stuff like that, that's where they made their money back. So maybe all the teams, yes, is to say a little bold, but I definitely think the top teams within the five years will make it back because those are the teams are probably going to gain the most support and stuff like that. Like especially if they're like they've you know they have some personality and stuff like that, and that I think is going to be the driving force to, to seeing these teams make their, make their, their full investment back. Okay. No, that makes sense. And I guess something I literally just thought up on the spot. Um, we kind of brushed over the article when we were kind of talking about the pre-show stuff, but team fuel has already, um, signed a Jersey sponsor. Um, they've signed Jack in the box. It'll be on all of their gear. It'll be on other jerseys and everything. So I guess kind of looking at that, that one team already has a sponsor on their jerseys that I'm sure they paid a pretty penny for that. So those kind of sponsors and those kind of deals that they make with these companies will definitely help make uh, the investment back. But do you guys have any kind of problem with these companies going on jerseys? I mean, are you worried that teams somehow could be persuaded by these big companies? Or do you have any kind of concerns or comments on that? Not really. I don't like... People have wanted to chuck their names on jerseys, you know, in every in every league, right? In in every sport. I don't think this is gonna like. I don't think just because the league is new and the um like the game is new, I don't think that's going to change anybody having an understanding of how that whole the whole sponsorship thing works. I think the people that are established in this in this scene now, um, the 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 the. the the research has already been done for that stuff, and that is very common knowledge on like you know the pitfalls that you could run into with the with the sponsorship pro like um, with the program and stuff like that for the for the jersey. So I don't think that's going to be an issue. Uh, Dylan, what about you? Um, I think I agree. I think that kind of stuff has been pretty figured out pretty well in sports, and I mean, I mean even esports has that kind of stuff. Though the the companies are definitely a lot smaller um, with most of the with those kinds of sponsorships, but I mean it's been around and. It's pretty well figured out. I don't think we're going to see anything too, too crazy around it. Okay. Um, but I guess just kind of continuing to talk about the Overwatch League, but kind of changing up how we look at it. So the looking at the players, the minimum salaries that every player has to get on the team is $50,000 with a guaranteed one-year minimum and a second-year option. And the teams will also require to provide players with housing, health insurance, retirement options, and more. I mean... Oh kind of crazy to talk about. I mean, these guys are playing video games. I mean, making $50,000 doesn't seem crazy or anything like that. But I guess the health insurance and retirement options, I mean, considering retirement is just four years down the road from uh, most of these players, it's just kind of funny to talk about in esports. I mean... it's Yeah, it's it's crazy to even... like it, It's a smart thing to, for them to do cause, because, yeah, it, I, it seems like somebody in that department recognize that these guys aren't going to be able to play video games their entire lives. And we're like, okay, they're going to have to retire at the age of like 26, 27, like at the, at the latest or maybe the earliest, you know what I mean? Depending on how you look at it. 
Um, somebody, yeah, it's a very smart move, and it's it, like I mean that makes it very tantalizing for a lot of players. I totally respect them for doing that. Yeah, I think this is kind of just the the logical progression of it. I mean, um, I'm assuming a lot of people that have their hands in the Overwatch League right now are definitely more sports guys, um, and they also have esports guys with them. So it it, it kind of makes sense that um, uh, all these sports people that you know have been into the game before and and have set up other leagues and and work in other leagues that they're just kind of taking those models and putting into this and so i think we're going to slowly start inching away from the days of throwing just tons and tons of money at the player and just giving them just like all this just flat cash and going to be kind of moving towards uh something a little bit a little bit more tamed like uh like healthcare and and right retirement plan yeah and i think that's definitely probably a step in the right direction i think because that's treating them less kind of like just kids playing video games and more like actual professionals that are doing a job i mean you don't i mean obviously nfl players and stuff like that they get these big amounts of just flat cash but they also get all the benefits i mean of course that's a little more physical and they need those benefits but at the same time like it's kind of treating them more almost like okay you're not a kid anymore playing a video game you're an adult doing a job in front of millions and millions of people. So I think that's really cool to kind of start seeing those benefits uh, come in. But another thing I wanted to touch on really quick before, sorry, we go any further um, is that you said the, the minimum pay, like minimum salary for these guys was 50 K, yep. right? Um, the, uh, one thing I'm recognizing while looking over the rosters and stuff like that is this fluctuates from anywhere from six players for the uh, Florida Mayhem to like a 12 player roster for um, for London Spitfire. Like, is that was there is there any sort of regulation on how many players these guys can have? And it seems to be like the like their roles and stuff like that too. It's all over the place. Like all of all of Dallas's teams, their offensive players are also flex players as well. I don't know this. Uh, maybe this is my unfamiliarity with with the game itself. But it just, it seems like the the um, roster system's a tad erratic. I mean, I guess if you have anything to add, Dylan, I was about to make that same point. And, like, yeah, just kind of saying the rosters don't have any consistency. Like, they don't have to have three offense, two tank, and four supports or anything like that. Every team's kind of allowed to kind of do what they want. I'm kind of looking up right now to see if there is anything. But I guess, do you know anything personally, Dylan? Yeah, so the meta around Overwatch... I don't think inherently lends itself to saying, oh, you need two offense, two defense, like two supports or whatever. Like it, it's a lot more flexible than that. And I can't, I kind of think the, the meta shifts around whatever patch it's in, whatever map you're playing on, whether you're attacking or defending, um, whether whatever game mode it might be. So I think roles definitely don't have that big of, um, they mean a lot less. Um, now, obviously if someone is a support main, you're going to have a support on your team, at least one support. But I think um, they're more looking towards having just good players rather than, like, um, you know, let's let's make sure we have, like, two offense heroes or whatever. Um, and also going back to the point that you made about uh, the different number of players going from 6 to 12, um, the first question I would have with that is, is it mandated that the companies have to actually pay fifty thousand dollars or is it the overwatch league itself that are paying these um these guys fifty thousand um it definitely sounds like it is from the individual teams um that are doing it that they are signing a contract with the 
uh, Shanghai Dragons and not like the Overwatch League. So this is coming out of each team's individual pocket and they personally have to deal with the housing and all that kind of stuff. I'm sure the Overwatch League kind of helps figure this out, but it is all on the pockets of the individual teams. Yeah, so that seems more like just a team choice. So, I mean, if they want to have like 50 players, I mean, obviously that's a detriment and kind of like a hyperbole, but like, um, I mean, why yeah, not, why right? Not? They could, if, if, if they can afford it, why, yeah, why not do it? I guess that makes sense. Yeah, if they can, if they, if they can afford it, then sure. Why not, why not increase your options of winning, right? So, kind of talking about affording right now, this is a point I've kind of been waiting for the right chance to jump in here and get you guys on it, is... We talked about dominance in esports a couple weeks back. And with kind of how this system set up, I can kind of see that problem of money wins it all coming up. Because there's a minimum salary and that kind of stuff. But it doesn't seem like there's any kind of roster restrictions. Um, they obviously can pay as much as they want. And if one team has more money or does better, they can kind of pay to win. And they can just keep stacking all these players if they have enough money. I mean, is there... What do you think of that? I mean, do you think that would be a thing that could happen? Or do you think just kind of teams won't let that happen because they'll see it kind of happening ahead of time? What do you think about that? I think I think before this gets too out of control, maybe we – because like you said, there's no mention of like a salary cap. There's a minimum, but there's not a maximum. I think if we see one bad year of that – there'll be a salary cap implemented real quick. So you can't pool talent onto one team and pay them all a ridiculous amount just because your team can afford it. Right. I think we'll go away from that and you'll see, you'll see the salary cap and you'll see people only being able to afford X amount of players or I don't know. Cause then you like, then you look at the roster numbers and the, what they could do is they could just go, Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to like pay for a 12 man roster, a 12, a 12 man of like, uh, you know, a a class players you know what I, i'm just gonna pay for six s class players you yeah. know what i mean so uh, i don't know i think i think where they're still in their development phases stages story and they're like they're figuring everything out i can see maybe a year of watching a ton of talent pulled on one team and then it gets and then it gets rectified pretty quick okay dylan do you have any else oh, you're doing you bb to it uh yeah <laughs> so um i was just kind of thinking about this when when you guys were talking about it and what is like the I, I guess this would go into like an economics discussion, but like what is like the the value of having a team that always wins versus a team that, you know, maybe they get top three every single time? Because do you want to pay that extra? You know, may, it might be an extra like millions of dollars if it's if it's, there's no cap to it to have a number one team or you could pay significantly less to have a top three team because all your money's not coming from the prize pool, but rather than um, it's coming from sponsors. So maybe the, the amount of money that the sponsors are willing to buy in to these teams will be a lot lower. So it's not as advantageous to just keep throwing money until you're a number one team. So maybe we might see some teams put in some money so that they'll always be top four, but I could definitely see, you know, maybe it's stopping there. Okay. No, and that makes sense, and I think what the big factor in this is going to be in the long run is when do these games start becoming home matches and people having the own arenas? Because when you have an arena and you know you can pack it full every single match of the entire season and make a million dollars per match, 
you can spend a lot more money on that. Right now, like we were kind of talking about earlier, I mean, sponsors and playing is the only two ways you can really make a lot of money through this. But once that third window opens up, there's just teams like in the NFL that always sell out. The Green Bay Packers always sell out. So they can spend more money because they know they're going to have that guaranteed revenue. Right now, there's really no guaranteed revenue because all that's going to fluctuate based on how well their team's doing. So I think it's going to kind of be the chicken for the egg. I mean, do the teams invest a lot to get a good team to kind of get that investment in the long run? Or do they hope that just the community they're in kind of forms around them, then they have that additional money to spend on the team? It's kind of how I see maybe this no salary cap could come into being a problem is when the New York team has so many more people. So obviously they get so many more people in attendance and make more money, kind of like there is in the New York Yankees now. Yeah, that's a good point too. Like, I mean, they like it goes. It boils down to population and location, right? I mean, the, the, those ones are probably going to generate the most revenue and probably also sell the mer- most merchandise too. You get a, you know, you get a city like New York backing their team, like, and you know, a lot of those guys want to just pick up a jersey. You know what I mean? That's going to be a ton, a ton of yeah. revenue for that team. And then you're going to see teams like like Boston kind of struggling or or Houston cause just because they don't have the population base, right? Mind you, that being said, New York's team is the Excelsior, and that's I can't see that selling that well. I mean, <laughs> I hope uh, we we should. We, I mean, we already shit talked them last week a little bit, so yeah, I don't want to yeah. be too we mean to on them pretty again, hard last week. But I hope after this year they just change your name. They're like, you know what? We give up unless they win it all. Yeah. Like, just give it up. Maybe crowdsource from your fans that whoever actually supports Excelsior. And kind of <laughs> go from there. Because I think that's definitely one of the teams I could do some rebranding. Because the logo doesn't make sense. Yeah. The name doesn't sound great. I could go on for this about days again. But, again, I think that's kind of besides the point. And I think at least the first couple games, as long as they're not super bad, they'll have a good following. And people are kind of like, oh, I don't like the name, but they're still from New York, so I'll support them. So, yeah, it goes back to the region-based thing, absolutely. Yeah. But, I guess... Unless you guys have anything else to kind of touch on in the Overwatch League, I think we kind of touched on all the big points there. And, of course, we'll be talking about it more as it goes. We'll give the announcements and kind of the follow-ups when the first couple weeks come around in January, of course. But until any other news kind of comes up, I mean, this is the Overwatch League. This is real. The money's there. The teams are developed. The brands are finally out. And I'm excited, as always. I keep kind of bringing this up. I'm not a big Overwatch League I'm just an Overwatch fan at all, but kind of seeing all this come together, it's a real thing, and I'm really excited that you start kind of watching all this in January. It really can't come soon enough for this. Yeah, I'd agree. Like, I mean, this this podcast it's, oh, alone has made me really excited for it because, I mean, we can't stop talking about it because it's just, it seems every week we kind of come back to it and there's more and more development, right? So, yeah, no, I'm pretty, I, I'm not a huge Overwatch fan either, but watching this watching this league and just, just seeing how the map is structured, how they set up, like, the the, the whole environment and stuff like that, like, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be a real treat to watch. Yeah, and I, I think the reason why we're, we're all so hyped about it is that this is not only important for Overwatch, but I think it's just important to esports in general, what's happening here. No, yeah, I definitely agree, and if, I mean, if these teams are willing to pay 20000 I'm $20 million, and they see a payback in three years or something like that, imagine what kind of doors open up, that once these leagues kind of start happening and people see that oh you can get your investment back when you throw this money into them that opens up the door for so many more sponsors so many more leagues and for the 
Overwatch League, League of Legends, all that kind of stuff to grow to a level that we've never really seen before. Because it's now, I mean, if this works, this shows that the model works. That esports isn't just a fad. That it can be supported by millions and millions of dollars and still be worth it. So I think I kind of agree that this is a big kind of point for esports in the long run. But I, yeah, for sure. I man. guess moving on from one league to another, um, from I guess I should source it. I guess everything we kind of got the information from the Overwatch League was kind of from ESPN and just seeing on Twitter and stuff like this. But this is coming from Cybersport.com. Um, this is saying that OGN. Um, I'll give you a little more information about them if you don't know who they are. Will build a hundred person, a hundred player studio to host a PUBG league in 2018. So who this OGN is is they're from um, Korea. They are Korean operated, um, but they have had involvement going back to StarCraft, um, StarCraft Two, League of Legends, Overwatch, all kind of things, kind of like that. And they've had leagues developed and all that already. But now they're taking into that step and developing a whole team specifically for PUBG. So there's not too much specific in this article, but it's just kind of touching on the topic that we've kind of avoided. Do we think over? I'm not Overwatch. Um, PUBG can be esports ready. Is it? Does it have the model that it can follow an Overwatch League or League of Legends or even let's say Smash Brothers because it's a little more closer to that or Tekken? But do we think over? I mean. Jeez, uh, PUBG is a thing that can last in the long run for esports. I mean, they got to get the game out of the development stages first, man. Like, I think there's—I don't know if they've finally finalized a date for when it's for getting its official release. But to my knowledge, they're like the game's still unfinished, right? Um, I'd like to see—I'd like to see the team look a little, or the game look a little cleaner and stuff like that. But the, my big my big question is like how do they plan on supporting like a like a hundred man team game? Is there going to be like a bunch of teams broken up? Like is it going to be? Because I know I think in PUBG like it's like a three man squad or something like that or four man squad. So I, I think they they would divvy it up like that. But still like getting four man squads of a hundred players and getting teams to invest in each one of those like you know trying to get their hands into the hundred hundred uh, players player pool that. It's a lot of investment, and that's, like, I mean, I think that's where you see, like, a lot of the smaller teams kind of become developed. I don't know. I think it's I think it's a weird model to see going to esports. I think it's not a traditional one by any means. Uh, I don't I don't know. I just want to correct you in something, and that's probably how I said it. So it's not going to be 100-player teams. Um, the title is OGN will build a 100-player studio to host a PUBG League. So I'm assuming that they will be small squad teams of – Four, and then maybe they have a sub or two. So it's not like each team doesn't need to have a hundred players on staff. It's just oh no 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 yeah yeah no I I, I got okay. what you meant. But even like yeah yeah sorry. But even still like if you do if you do the math about it right like I mean twenty five teams each having six players. Yeah, like I mean. <sighs> We have a hard enough time seeing that in like in league and in Dota. Oh, maybe not so much Dota, but league for sure. And I don't know. I I think even like maybe and that's so that's so limited too. Like I mean, are we gonna see teams from like from like London and from like New York and stuff like that ship their teams over to Korea like every week to play? Like I mean, I don't I don't know, man. Like that's you're looking you're looking for 25 teams to come into Korea if you want to build it over there, right? Yeah. I Not mean, the do they have the population? Yeah, exactly. Do they have the population out of China? Maybe, yeah. But I, 
I, it seems a little risky. Yeah, and I guess there's no numbers behind it or anything kind of like that. I have a couple points I want to make, but I guess I want to get Dylan's first impressions of what he kind of thinks of this league before we kind of go into the secondary points. Yeah, so just talking about PUBG as an eSport, um, I think that anything could be an eSport. Um, obviously, if, if people want to play competitively, it's going to be played competitively. It doesn't really matter what anyone else kind of says. Um, as for do I, do I think it is an eSport or not, um, I think there's some serious flaws with it that, that definitely set me off, such as like the, the randomness in the beginning and all that. Um, but I think that the 100-person arena kind of deal... I think that is super, super, super cool for an amateur league. I would absolutely love it to be like just a singles tournament and just open it up and just like the first 100 people to, to get there or first per, like 100 people to sign up, everyone just sits down and just plays this gigantic game of like PUBG. Like it obviously won't be like purely on land just because of how it's all set up, but it's like a, like a pseudo land. And I think that'd be super cool. And actually I would love to participate in, in something like that. As far as like a like a professional type of league, um, I think things get a little bit more complicated once you start going into the the six man squad thing because it's like, well, how many overarching teams can send their own six person squad in? So like, Team Liquid just like has like I don't know like ten squads. Like, is that allowed or do they have to limit it? Oh yeah, I didn't even think yeah, of that. Yeah, so like it, it gets a little bit weird once you get on the professional side. I think if it's just a singles tournament, that could be really cool. Um, kind of like a like a StarCraft deal, except everything just played all at once. Um, I think that could be really cool. Um, but I definitely see there's a lot of there. There definitely could be a lot of issues with it. Um, I guess something I just kind of came up with off the top of my head for this kind of format is maybe you treat it like golf for the singles format that sure like someone could represent like an overall team or kind of like mixing a golf and the racing kind of so there are multiple racers underneath one brand but they each race them individually and go for their own wins but their overall brand still kind of takes the credit so you mix that with golf where there's five or six major events throughout the year and then who obviously the best of the best players from the individual tournaments get invited to the Masters or something kind of like that. So that, like you're saying, that it's all done in once. So everyone sits down for three days. Um, there starts with, like, five games of 500 amateurs, goes down to the top uh, 300, then goes down to the top 100, then you have one winner. And then people get points into, uh, ranked on that game and how they do. And then the best players with the most points at the end of the season get invited to the final tournament. Or kind of a style like that. I mean, do you think that could be supported? Or even then, do you think PUBG just doesn't really have for kind of a professional level like that? I think that could definitely work. Um, I think one of the biggest things it kind of hinges on is right now PUBG's player base is so big, it's disgusting. Like, it's actually kind of gross how big it is and how quickly it grew to that size. I think a lot of the esports success it's seeing right now does have to tie into that so i'm very curious to see in the next six months in the next year how the player base looks then and how enthusiastic they are about the like uh the whole esports side of it if it's still going super strong and it's still where it is now um i think as long as the developers are keen to what the community wants i think it could definitely work 
James, do you kind of agree or do you think it's a uh, horrible yeah, idea? Yeah. You just hate me and not like any of my ideas. <laughs> no, I think I think the bringing in the golf and racing comparison is a really good thing and as soon as as soon as um you had mentioned like the the starcraft method as well like i mean that's what starcraft did too they had a bunch of players under the same brand but i mean one could one could still take out the other one sort of thing right so i at least if i remember correctly don't correct me if i'm wrong but i think that's how it was like you could still you have teammates playing against each other but they'd still win for the organization correct yeah, so I could see I could see PUBG going to that, and they say they say screw the four man roster, um, you know, Team Liquid field as many guys as you want. I'm sure there'd be a limitation to that, of course, but I mean, yeah, I could I could with that in mind, I could see that working, and that does make sense to me. Okay, and then I guess just kind of the point that you were making earlier about it needs to get out of finished. Uh, yeah, it needs to be polished. Yeah. So. For the Xbox One, it's been announced that it'll be released on the their early access system on December 12th, and that their 1.0 patch will be released in December, is what they have been kind of saying. And I guess a couple other points, just kind of from our discussion that it wants to go on. I agree, Dylan, that that player base is just ridiculous, and I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon, especially once they hit that 1.0 patch. A lot of people are going to want to go back and try that out. And I'm sure they'll release the new map at the same time if they're smart. And I could see them breaking their own record again. And kind of, I think this player base will keep growing for at least the next year before it really starts to see a decline. I mean, this game is just taking over the internet unlike anything we've really seen in recent years. And it's just ridiculous. And I think trying to do an esports format is kind of smart and kind of taking the popularity that they have but you can already see their developers already trying to develop another game and i think they're already looking outside of just PUBG. so obviously they're not looking to make this a riot in league of legends where they just focus on their one game they're looking to use this kind of momentum to grow and make other games so i don't see i could ever see i think it's PUBG corp ever actually investing in a true PUBG esports league Um, I guess any kind of comments on that or anything or any last kind of touch ups on PUBG esports that kind of stuff. Um, the, yeah, now that you mentioned it, just kind of thinking about it. Sorry, I, I was kind of, <laughs> I was kind of lost in thought there. Um, where where you mentioned where they could like they could overlap the the, the arena type. I mean that kind of gives that kind of gives you an open end for all these like big you know, arena-esque, or, like, big, like, a closing map, like, you know, shooter kind of games, like, Fortnite's another one that's gaining momentum as well, so, I mean, like, like then they don't even have to worry about really doing anything, they, the, the arena's there, it's all developed, I don't know if you can still incorporate the same amount of players in the game and stuff like that, but, yeah, like, because these seem, these games seem to be very popular, and they seem to be, they seem to be constantly growing, you know, it started with, like, H1Z1, and it's kind of, like, going from there, so, I feel like maybe OGN is just ahead of the curve and they're just like, you know what? These are going to keep becoming, they're going to keep coming out and these things are going to keep being popular. So why don't we just make an arena that suits all of these? And then we don't have to worry about it. The infrastructure is already there. And I guess, what are your personal preferences for both of you between Fortnite and PUBG? I like the art style of Fortnite a little better. Um, I like the idea that you can construct like construct things and stuff like that. I feel it feels like that adds a nice element to it. Um, 
to me, PUBG just kind of, like, it seems like it's been done. Like, I mean, with just, like, H1Z, like I said, H1Z1 and stuff like that. Um, so I, my preference is definitely Fortnite. Uh, what about you, Dylan? Um, I actually think the opposite. Um, I haven't uh, oh. played too much into Fortnite, so I can't really speak too much onto that. But um, I do really like the ideas that PUBG's bringing to the table. Um, I like the whole idea of, I think it kind of started out with DayZ of that kind of, like, battle royale kind of shooter-esque type thing that was at least like one of the the first times it started getting super super popular and i think PUBG is definitely taking steps in the right direction to make it um almost perfected um i definitely think that PUBG and fortnite are good for the whole genre i'm very excited to see them kind of battle it out because before it was like one game gets popular then another game gets popular and they just kind of like go one after the uh, another but this is like one of the first times like two of them have been super popular at the same time which i think is great because then they can kind of um battle it out between kind of like between each other to see who can get the best who can start making the the most changes as quickly i kind of see it as a whole like uh league of legends dota thing of where they might do two different things and they both have two separate things but they both have their audiences and they both make improvements in different areas no, yeah, that all makes great sense. And I guess I think what really helps both of them kind of coexist is that PUBG hasn't hit consoles yet and that Fortnite took that opportunity. There's kind of some shade behind that since the Unreal Engine is owned by Epic and PUBG wasn't too happy about that. But beyond that, I think that they had their two own platforms to grow and get popularity on really helped both of them kind of take off. And I guess, personally, I just play a little bit more Fortnite. My computer is a potato, so it is very <laughs> hard to be very competitive in uh, PUBG. While in Fortnite, everyone's kind of on the same internet. I mean, same level. Internet plays a little bit into it, but the games go fast, and you can get a lot of them in. And you don't feel like you invest as much. You don't feel like you put an hour in just to get headshot in the back of the head. While with Fortnite, you can make it to the end of the game and win it in about 20 minutes. So I guess that's just kind of where I stand a little bit, but they both have the pros. I have loved and put so many hours into both of them. So I agree that I think it's good that both of them are coexisting and both of them are having the opportunity to grow. Because, yeah, if they do push each other and kind of make the other one grow and do better, like Dota and League or anything like that, it can only help both games and not really hurt them at all. But I guess kind of going on to our last article... I guess I wouldn't say article. Um, it's kind of based off a video that James posted earlier this week. Um, I'm just looking against the psychological effects of world travel and how teams kind of adjust to that. And it was kind of based around the League of Legends worlds uh, and kind of what the teams had to go through and how they adjusted. Like it was a 14-hour difference between the U.S., New York, and uh, where they played in China. So that's a pretty big difference for these players to go through. Um but rather than just focusing on kind of world's travel and that kind of stuff, what psychological effects of any aspects of esports do you see kind of coming up? I know, Dylan, you said you had a couple of points to kind of make. So I'll kind of hand off the topic to you and let you kind of talk about this. Yeah, so I just wanted to talk about um, kind of like uh, esports and some of the psychological effects, at least in the early days to get it started off. Um, so I know back in the day with StarCraft, a big thing used to be um, playing like, like playing and practicing at different room temperatures and at different chair settings. 
Um, so this was like super, super rudimentary. Um, but I know a ton of guys used to like crank up their heat, turn it down a bunch. Um, they used to play with their shoes on, with their shoes off, um, change the seat height, just so you can kind of um, perfect um, playing at basically any sort of atmosphere so that whenever you went to a LAN, um, nothing really threw you off. And actually you could see like some people trying to get around this a little bit. I know Flash, like the whole big, uh, the big meme of Flash is that he has the ruler and he always measures out like how far his keyboard is from the edge of the, the desk. And oh my yeah, God. it seems super silly, <laughs> but like he is consistent on that. So his hand placement is always exactly the same. So that's one thing he never has to worry about. And I know it's like a, it's a small thing, but like it actually kind of does make the difference because if you're trying to compete at the highest level, you want your practice to environment to be as close to possible as your performance environment. And wherever it can't be, you want to make sure that you're, you're, you're ready to, to kind of overcome those little areas. I don't know why, but just kind of hearing that kind of statement there just kind of makes me laugh a little bit. And just kind of hearing and going through it, like, it makes sense why they do it and playing with shoes off and shoes on. But that just kind of reminds me of all these people with the big, like, superstitions and are very religious about where they sit in games and stuff kind of like that. So it makes sense of why they do that, but I just kind of thought it was different. And I think it's helpful for teams to do that because, yeah, you never know what you're going into for these kind of games, and especially when traveling halfway across the world. It's going to be a lot different than how you play at home on your own computer. So kind of doing that and messing with your body a little bit is probably really smart, and it's probably why I'm so bad at all the games I play. <laughs> Clearly I need to turn my heat up a little bit more, and that will obviously make me a better player in the long run. But, I mean, I think that probably even goes a little bit further in today with just, like, the set design um, whenever you're going to, like, uh, a big League of Legends event. So whenever Riot puts on one of their events, um, I don't know this for sure, obviously, but I, can, I would definitely put money down on whenever they set up for that. They have very, very specific things when they're setting up um, as far as computer placement, um, height of the desks, the types of chairs that they use, and all those things... I guarantee if you go to the team house, they will be very, very, very similar. No. Uh, yeah, no like, games. I didn't even think of that. Yes, yeah, no, no. I was just, I was just kind of, like, you know, kind of processing that and thinking, yeah, that's like, that's definitely the case. Like, there has to be, like, specific specifications that everybody's kind of sticking with and staying consistent with because this is probably, like you, like, like, like you were saying, Dylan, like, this was something that was done back when StarCraft was big. And if people are looking at that now and reflecting back on the, that information in the past, then it's like, you know, there's definitely proven things that are probably better for each player and stuff like that. And it's not, it just doesn't boil down to, like, personal preference. There's probably, like, a proven, a proven like, you know, proven temperature, a proven, you know, like, uh, like height and everything like that. And that's interesting to me, too, especially when you said the heat thing. Because the big thing I noticed when they were playing in the... Oh, the group stages in China is that everybody seemed like they were freezing. They were they were wearing. I seen like people wearing multiple layers and stuff like that. There was one shot of uh, of sneaky, like literally like bundled up and like like looked like like an insulated poncho. So I mean that has to have effects on players like this. Like and that has to be like maybe not detrimental, but definitely like significant to what they're used to, right? And I mean it doesn't even have to be something of where it's like you're sweltering hot and you can't deal with it. It's just if the temperature is just enough different, you'll just like, it'll be at the, the forefront of your mind. So you're thinking about it. So even though it's not like 
I can sit in my apartment here and maybe it's a little bit cold today and like it'll be a little bit cold but it's not that big of a deal but if you're playing a game it's at the forefront of your mind of where you're like oh it's really cold kind of like if you if you like stub your toe or something that pain that's on your foot is the forefront of your mind that's the thing that you're thinking about the most rather than just focusing on the game huh well that's really interesting and i'm definitely going to agree with your statement of that this is all very systematic and measured out because watching that video that i was kind of talking about that brought us into this topic is that riot like measures and like make sure that the stage doesn't even wobble a little bit before the start of the tournament. So if they're going in and making sure that every step on the stage doesn't wobble, I'm sure that they're going in and making sure that all the chairs are at least at very close to a consistent height. Because obviously in the video games, it comes down to the very little things and those little things, such as if one computer was a little crooked, that could be huge impact on a game. So making sure that that kind of stuff is all consistent is very true. And just something that a comment you made earlier, James, is back when StarCraft was big. I'm sure you made a couple listeners there felt very old because... <laughs> oh, is, man. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, like, even for me, like, I don't even know when StarCraft was big. It was that long ago. So I'm sure a couple of our listeners are going to feel like, wow, I'm old. Because I remember, I mean, even Dylan's, like, really steamed into the... Uh, <laughs> I, I feel bad, like, it's a, like, it's a... <laughs> The subtle shot at Dylan. No, no. Yeah, it's just to me, it seems like so long ago. And it, every time I say it to it kind of pains me because I wish I was a part of it. Like, I, like where I'm so, like, I'm so infatuated with esports now. Like, I wish I was there. At, or I wish I was, like, I paid attention to it when it was big. Like, when it first was getting gaining ground and stuff like that. Because, yeah, that seems, like, that's when you got to see all these cool things being discovered. Like, you know, like, like you said, like, Buddy with the Ruler and stuff like that. Like, people were getting down and, like trying to figure out the best possible way and the best ways to do this. Like, I don't know, man. <laughs> makes, I'm kind of bitter about missing out, I guess. So, Yeah, but I guess I'll kind of hand it back over to you, Dylan. But, yeah, I just think little things matter and the psychological effects of being very systematic and very experimental is something that I've never thought of, kind of similar to James. But, yeah, I mean... Video games are, I mean, it's hand-eye, but it's a very emotional and a mentally strong game. And the people that are the most prepared going into these games have the best chance of winning. So, yeah, I think that's something that I never would have thought of. And I'm really kind of intrigued and want to go back and kind of look into that more now that you kind of bring it up. Yeah, and it's just interesting because, like, at the highest level, it, the, the game isn't about, like, uh, doing the most good while you're playing. It's just whoever kind of, like, makes the least amount of mistakes. Um but yeah, I, I, I think all this stuff is super interesting and um, we're, we're really starting to kind of um, unravel a lot of this stuff and kind of really get into there and explore it, and, which I think is super cool that we're finally figuring all this out. Um, I think um, maybe one day it'd be really cool to try to bring someone on who you know specializes in this kind of thing. Because I mean, I barely know um, anything about it and every time I hear something about it, it just like blows my mind, so. No, yeah. And, yeah, just kind of touching about things. Yeah, eSports is really developing each and every day. And, like, this Overwatch League, I mean, we are watching history be made in possibly what could be the biggest kind of future league of eSports. And also just kind of seeing this and getting the real-world experience of 
people that are figuring this stuff out right now in person and aren't just talking about it like us, but actually out there with teams doing it, I think would be really an unreplaceable kind of view. And I think it'd be really cool. I guess I shouldn't say it's really cool. I should say, yeah, I'm going to work on that as the host of this. And of course I am. Because I want to give all I want to give you guys the opportunity to kind of learn more about esports, but also our fans to kind of hear these unique uh, kind of views that aren't ours. So of course I'm going to work on that. I can't promise you next week I'm going to have the head of Riot, but I can promise you that I am working on it. I have I am trying to make it the best podcast for us and for you guys. So I will keep working on that. And I have been talking to a couple people. So hopefully, upcoming weeks we have a couple cool guests to talk about a couple cool topics. But I guess kind of wrapping up the podcast, we're getting to almost the hour mark here. Is there any last kind of uh, things you guys want to touch on quick? Any last comments? James, have you processed everything that we've gone through today? <laughs> it's man, it's been a it's been a big big learning day for me. It's been pretty pretty educational. <laughs> um, but uh, for me, no, I don't, I don't really have many uh, many closing points. No, I'm I'm pretty yeah I'm well educated after this podcast for well, sure. Good, I hope. At least one of us, between <laughs> us and the listeners, are going to be educated coming out of this. So I guess that means that this podcast isn't totally useless. Dylan, you got anything That's to good. kind of touch up on? Uh, no, just, I mean, we kind of um, went through all our points, and, I mean, they were all really interesting discussions. And hopefully, we, uh, like, like you were just saying, hopefully we can have um, people come on and kind of flesh out some of those topics. Because, I mean, I have a very rudimentary understanding of PUBG and stuff, but, like, um, even someone just going on and talking about the intricacies of, of PUBG and like maybe how that looks as an eSport to someone who's kind of played it at that level would just be super interesting. So hopefully we'll be able to have some of those more in-depth conversations uh, in the future. Yeah, and like we kind of say every single week, this podcast is ever-involving. We're figuring it out the same time you guys are listening. As we're talking right now, we are learning new things. We are trying to make ourselves better. We are trying to make this podcast the most helpful thing for you guys out there. So that each and every week when you come and listen, you learn something new. You find out something interesting. You laugh at James at least once or twice. I mean, we really want to get man. a couple big <laughs> things out of this podcast each and every week. And I think taking a, bringing a guest in these next couple of weeks will really be the big, the next big step for us to kind of help you get content out of that. But kind of on that point, I, as always, I want to thank you all so much for listening I can't believe we've already done this for a couple weeks, and I want to thank you all for taking your time, for reviewing, for rating, all that kind of stuff. And as always, you can find me on Twitter um, to reach out to me with any comments. If you want to insult me for whatever reason, it's, I mean, it's the internet. But you can find me at NIMS41, N-I-M-Z-4-1. And that's all for me, so I'll let James and Dylan to kind of sign off and give their little outros. Yeah, so you can uh, find me on Twitter at James A R E Graham. Um, feel free to sympathize with me with all the, uh, the all the knowledge that's being passed along with me with uh, within these podcasts. Um, yeah, and uh, Dylan, go ahead, man. Yeah, and you can find me at Beal Four Real. That's uh, four as in the number four. Uh, feel free to message me on Twitter. Follow me um, if you are into esports or any other random things. Awesome. So, yeah, thank you, too, for uh, co-hosting with us always. It's always so much fun. I look forward to this every week. And, again, thank you, listeners, for kind of dealing with us, struggling through our mispronounced words, our jokes, our misunderstanding of things. But we're just trying to make this better for you and have fun at the same time. So, as always, I will see and listen, hopefully have you guys listen to us next week. 
But this has been the Project Esports Podcast. And for now, this is Andrew signing off.